welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. So good to have you guys here. Sunday, the 9 a.m. service, quite possibly the best service out of all of the services. So glad that you guys are here today, and it's wonderful. Thanks again. We, uh, we love having a full house. So Matt, Pastor Matt and I were talking, we're like, we need to add some more chairs next Sunday, and that's a good problem to have. So thanks for kind of stick, staying in a little close today. That's why if you're wondering, like some of the staff, if I'm just like, go watch in the lobby. Heidi, go to the lobby and go watch church. So if you're wondering where she's at, she's out there making room, because that's what we do as a staff, and we love church, and we love that you're here, and we are in uh, part two of our series on on being on the on the book of Daniel. We're kind of looking at different significant chapters as we're unpacking these things. And of course, if you are this is your first time at River Valley, if you've been coming for a while, that you you'll realize and you're hearing today that we are one church, multiple locations. And as we look, as we are one church, multiple locations, um, all of the different locations are preaching live this weekend, which is great. Pastor Rob, our lead pastor, who's so gracious to give these weekends away. You'll see them on the screen uh, pretty regularly, but when we get these moments to share, love being able to share with you guys, which is awesome. So we are in the book of Daniel, and it's so exciting to be able to look at Daniel to this morning. And we last week we talked about standing out as believers and lovers of God and as Christians. And today we want to look at what it means to stand up as Christians. And I remember I was thinking about when was the time I really stood up um, for something. And I remember when it was sixth grade in the lunchroom and my friends and I, we were all hanging out. It was sixth grade. It was my friend, Jason Mitchell, and the rest of my, my rest of my crew. We were hanging out, having a blast at lunch. And someone says, hey, someone says this to me. They said, hey, can you believe that our parent, that, um, that our parents, since there's no kids in this service, this is not a kid's service. I want to make sure, if not plug your ears, I'm going to reveal a secret. Um, they said, can you believe that, uh, that there's no such thing as Santa Claus, that our kids are, uh, that our kids are the, it's true, Matt. I know you didn't realize this, but it's true that it's your parents. And I remember, I remember getting him say, come on, <laughs> Jason, guys, no, there's no such thing. No, no, you guys, come on. And they said, no, Santa Claus is your parents. And I go, what? Wait a second. You're telling me, you're trying to tell me, no, I don't believe it. I said, you guys are trying to, you guys are trying to, you're, you're trying to make me believe something that's not true. And they said, no, 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 it really is. And I remember, I remember I stood up in front of my friends and I stood up and I said, there's no way that Santa Claus is my parents because how could, how could my parents go out and reach all six, you know, six, six million children in one night? Do you understand the speed that that would take? Impossible. And then I realized when I got home and I asked my parents, and I remember we were watching the movie King Kong on television, and we were having a family movie night, and I said, Mom, can you believe that, they, that my friend said this? And they said, son, my, my parents and I said, son, we have something to tell you. And I was like, no, I just stood up and declared in the whole lunchroom that day to my friends that, that just stood up believing. And, you know, it was like that moment where I remember standing up to all my friends saying, no, I'm not going to believe that. And it was just a brave moment. It was a brave moment for me when I was younger. But hey, but there's going to be moments when you're going to be called to stand for stuff that you believe in. You're going to stand up for a conviction. You're going to stand up for things that, that, you, that you believe and you know and you're, and you're trusting and you're doing these things. And as Christians, we are going to be called to stand up. 
There's going to be times when we're going to be called to stand up. And that's what we're going to look at today with Daniel. And we want to unpack that in Daniel chapter 3. Standing up is what we're talking about today. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, to get us caught up, Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world at this time, okay, invaded Judah, rounded God's territory, God's land, rounded up the best and the brightest, which, of course, in today's characters, was Daniel and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they ended up getting uh, going in and they were set apart. Last week, we talked about how they were part of the king's court. They were part of the king's, uh, they had to learn the ways of Babylon and they, they had to eat the king's food. And then they took, they, they, stepped, they stood out by saying, you know what? Um, we're not going to eat the king's food. The king ended up, as you learned from last week's message, you can check it out online, is that this, is that the king said that they stood, they stood out for what they believed in. And the king um, was so impressed that God gave them such a favor that they ended up getting promoted. And in that promotion, Daniel gets promoted. And in Daniel chapter two, we realize that while Daniel and, and his friends are in the kingdom, there's a dream that happens. The king has a dream and the king says, I'm calling all of the people in my kingdom together. You have to interpret the dream. And, Dan, and everyone says, well, what's the dream? And he says, well, you should know because you're all magicians and astrologers and spiritual people. So you should be able to tell me what it is. And the, and the magicians and the astrologers of Babylon were freaking out. But Daniel, what does he do? He goes to God and he says, God, you know the dream you know what I need to say, and you're the one that, that clearly must have gave him the dream, so I need you to interpret it for me and tell me what it was. God gives him the download of the dream. Then he goes in front of the king and says, and well, everyone is like, we're all doomed because if you didn't interpret the dream, you were gonna be executed. He goes in, interprets the dream. The king is floored and says, Daniel, you are now getting more elevated to come into my kingdom. And then um, whatever you want. And he says, why don't you go ahead and also promote my three friends, Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as well. So then they get promoted as well. And Daniel becomes one of the most influential men in the kingdom in the king's courts. And his three friends get promotion. And this is where we pick up in chapter three. And this is where you get picked up, pick up in chapter three and that these men are rising, but they're believers. They're rising up in culture. They're rising up in kingdom. They're rising up in all of these things. And now all of a sudden they're finding the spot where they're realizing that, you know, the pressure gets on. The pressure starts increasing because they're living for God in a culture that is very against God. They're living for God in a culture that, that wants nothing to do with Jehovah or they want nothing to do with, with, with anything that is, you know, Christian, according to our terminology. They're living in a very non-Christian environment. They're trying to stand for Christ. And, there come, and, and that's the tension we're going to talk about today is what is the response for us when, when we are trying to be influential culture makers and shapers and the culture pushes back? What's the response to us when the government, when all the, the political, the social, the, 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 uh, the, the professional systems that are at play suddenly put a demand on you and you don't know what to do as a response to the demand? And you're sitting there saying, how do I handle this? This is what everyone is saying to do. I want to know how to handle this. And you, that's the tension that we face as Christians is how do we do that? What 
are the, pol- the, the policies, the mandates, the cultural virtues, when they don't line up to God's, how do we handle that? And I'm believing today that there's going to be, that God's going to do something today in us, that God's going to show us how can we handle this and what does it mean? How can you, as if you're in this place and you love Jesus and you're saying, how do I stand up in this moment? How do I stand up in this moment and being able to be the blessing, be the influencer, be the encourager, be the gift that God wants me to be in this season? Okay, so we're going to look at that. So Jesus, I pray right now for all of us in here, that is we're in this place and we're saying, okay, he's got my attention, Holy Spirit. I pray right now that there would just be um, uh, an awareness, there would be a humility, there would be an openness, there would be an understanding to say, and, and, and a game plan that you would download into us as Christians of how do we navigate this? How do we navigate this in 2020? Something very similar, God, that many of us can relate to. How do we navigate um, our own kind of the metaphor of Babylon, a godless, so to speak, culture? How do we stay Christians? How do we love as Christians? How do we be a blessing as Christians? And God, I pray that you would inspire us today and you would download us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. There we go. Scripture, if you got your Bibles, Daniel chapter three. Now that we've got caught up, here it is. It says this. Then, basically, uh, as the herald declares loudly, nations and peoples of every language. Okay, so the king is declaring and he puts his herald out there and he says, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, um, the, the, the zither and the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Okay, so here we have Nebuchadnezzar basically comes in the place and says, you've got to bow down to this idol. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was known for conquering Egypt. So he would have conquered Egypt in his journey and in his travels. And as he, it's, it's thought to, for him to have known that as he would have been admiring all the beauty of Egypt, as he was admiring all of these, the Sphinx and the golden statues and all these things, he goes, you know what? I conquered Egypt. I think Babylon could be the next Egypt. So he goes and says, you know what? Let's, we're going to build some statues of our own. And so he goes in and erects this giant, he goes in and erects this giant stat, statue And we don't know if it was literally a statue of him or if it was a statue of the God of Marduk, which is what everyone was worshiping in Babylon at that time, which was the God that would bless your crops. It was the God of fertility. It was all these kind of things that, that, that was there at the time. And so this idol gets erected and it was this national event celebrating the power of this empire that was conquering the world. And so... Daniel chapter three, verse says this, we begin to realize that when everything begins to play, everybody begins to bow down and worship Marduk at this time or the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. This, the, the, they start worshiping the empire and while everyone's bowing down, these three guys are standing and everyone's looking at this saying, you know, and you know what it's like to be in that crowd when everyone's, when everyone's bowing down and you walk in and you're the only one in the room and everyone's looking at you, that's what's going on. So these, um, some of the other political leaders of the day, you know, that are trying to vie for their positions because they just got promoted into some great things. They go back to the king and whisper in his ear and say, there's uh, three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're not bowing down. The king, it says, flies into a rage, goes in and grabs, goes in and brings them into the office 
and they get brought into the boss's office and they, and he begins to re-explain the policy with them. And because they haven't been following company policy in the kingdom. So the verse 15 says, now when you hear, he says again, now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the, uh, the lyre, the harp, and the pipe, and all kinds of music, um, if you are ready to fall down and worship, I made very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown into a blazing furnace. Then what, then what God will be able to rescue you from your hand? So basically he says, I'm going to give you one more chance. I'm going to give you one more shot to do this. And they have the choice right there. They could, they could compromise or they could stand for their character. What, what do they choose? Here's their response. They replied to him, verse 16. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. I love that they don't need to defend. I just think that's a great point. I think a lot of times we're quick. Everybody's defensive. Everybody's defensive in conversations lately. Everybody's defending everything. There's this big defensive posture and we become so defensive. Defensive. These guys understand this. They understand that their actions, their speaking and their character and their reputation is enough. How many of you guys know that Jesus is enough in situations sometimes? We don't have to be so defensive all the time. I think it's great when Christians aren't so defensive all the time. They just, there's a, you just can feel this calmness and this peace. And he says, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the gods of gold you have set up. I love the extreme trust in this moment. What kind of extreme trust is that that says, hey, I know God can deliver us. I know God can do anything. I know God can come in. I believe, and I've read enough of the Bible. I've had enough prayer times. I've had enough Bible study. I've had enough life groups. I've had enough serving opportunities in the kingdom of God to realize, I know God can do anything. First of all, do you have that posture? I said, do you have that posture? We're like, God can do anything. We serve a God of the impossible. And you have to live from there. We have to live and say, all things are possible for those who believe. All things are possible. Surely God could do this. But even if he doesn't, that's the other thing that we have a problem with sometimes as Christians. Because we come into it and we go and say, surely God can deliver. God can do anything. But we never say, but if he doesn't, um, well then I don't know what's going to happen. Because if he doesn't, then it's like, is God strong enough? Can God do it? Is God supposed to do this? Can, can God even do it? Did I miss God? Is God for me? Did I sin and cause God to not be with me now? Is God messing? Is God messing with me? Is God manipulating? We suddenly get crazy, but I love this position. And you've got to anchor yourself into this place in faith that says this, that says, listen, I know God can deliver me, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, I want you to know your majesty. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. I love spiritual confidence like that. I love a kingdom confidence. Kingdom confidence is not what you do with God, but what God does with you. There's a big difference. Kingdom confidence says it's not on you with God's help. Uh-uh. It's, it's on God and you get to align with God and help him. That's the kind of kingdom confidence that you need to have when you're stepping out, when you're confronting culture, when you're confronting things that are, you're struggling with that are hard to deal with, right? No, the furnace, so what happens is, is they get marched to this furnace and it would have looked like, this furnace would have, would have looked like um, almost like a nuclear power plant, like this wide base that comes up to, with a cone at the top. Most of them would have been pushed against a hill 
because, because when you stoke this furnace, it has to fit. It was their, their form of execution back in the Babylon Empire. It was one of the forms of execution. So they would go in and there was this big, almost like a giant kiln. And what they would do is, and it was massive, and what they would do is they would stoke, they would drop fire down in it and what they would do then is then what they would do is it's thought of is that they would go in, they would drop, they would push them down into the top of the, of the kiln at the top of the, of the funnel and they would land in the fire and they, would, and they would burn to death. And so you look at this and you say, okay, you know, interesting. It's, I love that as it's, and, and not only that, the king gets so furious, by the way, in this moment is I, I, I even love the fact that the king goes, take it up seven times hotter because I'm so mad. I'm so, you are so not gonna defy this that even the heat gets turned up even more than what they were wondering, what they were thinking. They're like, man, this is getting, it's getting hotter. It's so much so that even as the men who were bound them, they, and through the men, they were, they got, if the furnace was so hot that even the soldiers that bound them and threw them in burned to death. And we see, that almost like, there's almost like a canceling of these young men. There's almost like the king says, uh-uh, canceled. You're going in the fire. I'm done with it. You don't agree with me? Canceled. You don't agree with what I'm doing? Canceled. You're done. I don't even want to deal with you. We're just going to get rid of you. And, he gets, and these men get thrown into the fire. And everyone's watching. And here's the verse right here. Verse 25. Look. The king says, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, if you're from Babylon, you're going, oh, it's another spiritual being. It looks like one of the gods is in there with them. But we know the God of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is there was another in the fire and it, and it was Jesus manifesting himself, showing his, showing the people there saying, look, Jesus is with you and he is with you in the fire and he's with you when you are facing situations like this. So this is the story. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, you know what? Idols will put you in the fire. Idols have a pull and a position to pull you into the fire and to pull you into things. What's an idol? An idol is something we can't live without. We must have it. It drives us to break rules. We once honored to harm others, to even harm ourselves in order to get it. An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek, anything you seek to give you power and only what God can give. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that if you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. Okay? An idol says this, if you have me, then your life will have meaning and value. If you don't worship me, then you'll miss out. You can't live without me. And if you lose me, your life will be less and it will feel hardly worth living. We are confronting and confronted with idols every single day. We know what it is. Career, success, money, um, video games, promotions, popularity at school, fashion, beauty, cultural pressures, political pressures, whatever we surrender to, uh, you know, all of these things, the pressures that these idols put on us in a very sexualized culture right now to be able to not have sex before marriage is standing up to the idol of, se of sexual promiscuity that's running rampant if you're a young person and single in here. If you are in a place of, it's like we see all of these, I mean, I'm talking to dads online about video games and moms, and I'm just like, how do we handle video games? Well, I look at my son's screen time, and I'm like, 
And my son and I are talking a lot about, uh, about, uh, about, hey, what are you about to, man? Come on, is it, are you worshiping your, uh, the, you know, the video game controller right now? Like we're having these kind of funny discussions on what's your screen time? How much time do you devote to this versus, versus God? Like we're having discussions because we're trying to, I'm trying to help my kids. I'm trying to see that, you know what, that there are things sometimes we have to stand up to things that are trying to control us and make us bow and surrender our will to it. You're not supposed to surrender your will to anything except for God's. Because it's God's will. Because God, God, God's, God's will for your life is going to be the best thing that you could ever find. So when you surrender to God's will, that's the place. And Christians, we as followers of Jesus, as lovers of God, if you're a Christian in here, we are meant to stand up to those things that are telling us to bow down. We have to stand. I mean, you can look through history. I, I, I was thinking there's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. The whole country was both bowing down and worshiping, worshiping Hitler as this political God. And Bonhoeffer goes in, resists, even tries, even goes in and is involved in an assassination attempt against Hitler. And we find that he's hanged at the Flossburn concentration camp on April 9th, 1945, because he says, I'm not going to bow to Hitler. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do what, what Hitler's asked me to do. There's other people who, as you look at other things, in, in this year in 2019, 4,305 Christians have been killed for their faith. In 2019, 4,305 people were martyred in 2019 because they chose not to stand. They chose to stand up against um, the, a, a tyranny that would make them lose their faith because they believe in Jesus. That's pretty intense. But they refuse to give up for an idol. They're not going to do it. So we have this tension that we have to face of this dual submission of how do I live in a civic society and how do I live in a political society? How do I live under the authority of God and how do I live under the authority of man? Because both have consequences and both are necessary. And it's really difficult. Martin Luther wrote about two kingdom doctrines, the civil government and the church covenant, a government. But he makes this declaring, he says, but Christ is over both. Christ is over both. Human law versus God's law. Corey ten Boom violated the laws of men to uphold the law of God when she gave refuge to the Jews. We, and you think of Acts 4.29, we cannot not preach Jesus. We cannot not preach Jesus. Don't tell me I can't preach Jesus. And I began to think about that. I said, God, how do we, how do we handle this? What does, how do we do this? Because I've got Romans 13, which is such a big verse. It says, everyone, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. I mean, and the list goes on in this scripture verse. Read Romans 13, because it really kind of jars you in this to say, how do I do this, God? And so, and I began to think about this and I thought, you know what? I'll give you these things. How to stand up to idols and confront cultural idolatry. Five ways you can do this as we get ready to close here. All right, number one, don't just remove the idols in your life, but replace the idols in your life. Here's what I mean. You can't just say, I'm not gonna worship, I'm not gonna worship that cultural God and move on. You have to replace it with, because you were made to worship. The design of Genesis one for you is God says we're all made to worship something. But the question is, what are you going to worship? And so when you go into this position and say, I'm just going to not, I'm just not going to bow down. I'm not going to worship that. Your heart will drift to something to worship. 
But the question is, what are you going to wear? So you have to replace it. It's like, it's like I'm turning 50 and I've got, and I'm on like a, you know, and I'm just like, okay, I want to be the best shape of my life at 50. I've got a few more months yet. And so I can't just not eat bad stuff and call it a day. I have to replace it with good things. Where my health coach is at? You know who you are. You're right. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you got, you can't just not eat bad stuff. You have to replace so what you have to replace it. You've got to go because what you worship shows others what you value. What you worship will define your life and determine your future. One choice will motivate, will motivate the other choice. Your heart needs something to adore. Your heart needs something to adore. And I love what it says in Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. That's what it says. We have to be able to do it. Here's the second thing. Stop complaining about your situation, which undermines faith for your situation. I'm telling you, in a season right now where we don't like the decisions that are being made, I said in a season that I'm in right now where I am seeing decisions made that I don't agree with politically, relationally, you name it, complaining reveals the God you worship. Because complaining undermines faith for your situation, but praying, praying supplies faith for your situation. Are you praying or are you complaining? When you're texting people, are you saying, I can't believe Governor Walls, I can't believe Trump, I can't believe the list goes on. I'm sorry, I have to, this is where the world we're in right now. Politics are very much a part of what we're saying. But what are you doing? Are you complaining or are you praying? When was the last time you prayed for your spirit, your, your, your government officials? I'll keep saying it. I'll keep saying it. When is the last time you prayed about your situation? When's the last time you sent a prayerful text to someone or complained? Because complaining does under whining is the opposite of worship, right? Those are the things that deflate your faith, that pull away from your faith. So let's be a praying church. Let's be a praying Christian. Let's be someone that says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray and I'm going to do my best. Number three, remind yourself that what we look up to reveals our values we live up to. What you look up to reveals the values you live up to. That idol was 90 feet tall, okay, in the center of town. I, um, when I lived in Washington, D.C., Abe Lincoln was 99 feet tall. If you've been to the, the, the Lincoln Memorial, anybody been to the Lincoln Memorial? Yeah, you see, if you've been in that memorial... 99 feet tall. So you can kind of get a picture. If you've been, if when I was little, we went to, uh, where's the Paul Bunyan at? In Brainerd. We were in Br- Brainerd. It's not Bemidji. It's Brainerd, right? Yeah, I think it's Brainerd. But there's that, uh, that Paul Bunyan statue. I looked it up. It's 26 feet tall. So add another three Paul Bunyans on top of him. This is the idol that was set up in the middle of downtown, name your town. And they all had to worship to it. And they had to look at it and look up to it every day and everyone would worship at this idol and every time the music would go, they would worship and they would run to it. When you face troubles as a Christian, who do you look up to? What do you look up to? Where does your help come from? Is it the idol in the center of town or is it? Is it your friends? Is it is it, is it, is it the, the, the self-help book? Is it, what is the help? Where does your help come from? Where's your sanctuary? Where do you go when you're hurting? 
When it's a terrible day, do you go to the refrigerator for comfort food? Do you go to your phone and vent with a friend? Do you seek escape in movies or video games or pornography? Where do you go to seek refuge and sanctuary and asylum and rest? Where do you go for emotional rescue? I'll tell you where, Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up to the hills. I said, I lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help come from the Lord, the maker of you, me, heaven and earth. Psalm 121, that's where you go. So when you're facing difficulties and frustrations and trials, go there. Number four, embrace the fire as a refiner. Because guess what? Even if God doesn't rescue you, or us, or doesn't answer the way you want it to answer. Do you trust God? Do you trust the Lord? Because if not, do you want to know what the will of God was for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? It was the fire. It was to go into the fire. It was to be in the hottest places. It was to look death straight in the face. That was the, that was the place that God had for them. Now, Christians, here's the cool thing. If you're a lover of God, Christians don't get burned because what comes out is always better than before it goes in when it comes to the fire. If you go in the fire and you're in the fire right now and you're, and you feel in the pressure turned up in the heat at work, in your neighborhood, in your relationships, in your family, whatever it is, I'm telling you when, when the heat gets turned up, here's the cool thing about it. When the heat gets turned up, God uses this metaphor of it. When you put gold in the fire, it's the dross that comes to the surface. Do you know what the dross is? It's all those impurities in the gold that when you turn the heat up on gold, the impurities come out when the heat is turned up. And guess what? That gives the gold more value. So if you're put in the fire, if you're in the fire right now, you're in the fire of, of, of your... of wherever you're at in life right now and you're saying, man, I just feel like I'm in it right now. God's, don't worry. Because if, if you're a lover of God, if you're a believer in Jesus, guess what? He's refining you. I said he's refining you. He's giving you, he's bringing all the impurities that come to the surface. You want to know what you're made of right now? Are you freaking out? Are you pushing back? Are you being a jerk at home? Are you being crazy about government stuff, about religious stuff, about political stuff? What's your crazy level right now? Because that's all the dross coming to the surface, somebody. That's the dross coming out saying, no, 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 no. Let's get the demeanor of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego that said, you know what? Even if I know God will deliver, there's such a peace in that. There's such a confident trust in that. And they knew it. And lastly, oh, I love what Romans 5 says. I'm gonna, I have to read it. I think it's up there. Yeah, there it is. I love it. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. There it is. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Come on. The world needs hope today. Your, your neighbors need hope today. The people at the hospital need hope today. The people, the, the, the moms that you're at, the moms running into at, at, over at Whole Foods and over at Target, they need hope. They don't need complaining and a, and, and a COVID crazy woman. They don't need a Karen, whatever everyone is talking about. They need a hope-filled person, full of hope, bringing hope. And when you're in the fire, which a lot of us are feeling like we're in the fire, guess what? God's refining you so that you can, because that perseverance... That, 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 that perseverance is going to produce character. And the character is going to give hope to people that need it. 
So don't, don't, let, don't let people see the dross. We know what they do with the dross, the goldsmith. He just takes it and dumps it in the garbage. And then he pulls out this refined beauty. Lastly, as we close in prayer, standing up for Jesus will always be standing up with Jesus. Anytime you stand up for Jesus, you will be standing with Jesus. You don't ever have to doubt it. You don't have to know when you're the only one that starts a Bible club at school, when you're the only one, when you're with your friends and you're hanging out at some party, at a pool party, and they're asking questions about Jesus and you're a teenager in here and you go and say, hey, you know what? But I believe God can do this. And you stand up. You're not doing it alone, woman of God. You're not doing it alone. You're doing it because God's with you. When you go back to school, which starts, I think, now in August, which is crazy because my daughter's going back. She's turning 17. My son is in middle school right now. When you stand up and you go back to school and you take a stand, I could give a rip if you go to a Christian school or not. People need the hope of God. It doesn't matter. But when you stand up and you say, you know what? I'm going to go to Woodbury High School. I'm going to go to Eastridge High School. I'm going to do these things. And you stand up and say, listen, I'm going back to school. When you take a stand, you're not just standing up for Jesus. God's in the room with you. God's right next to you. God is with you. When you take a stand at work, God's, in, God's, God's at the cubicle standing next to your cubicle. God is in the doctor's office with you. God is in the neighborhood mom's group with you. He is. How do I know this? Because we know Scripture reminds us this. So many scriptures. Matthew 5, blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 10, 32, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge him before my Father. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation will overtake you. That is common. God's faithful. He will not let you be tempted, but he, but he will provide a way out. Come on. These are scriptures that are reminding us to say God's with you when you're tempted, when you're in trouble, and, and, and you're under the pressure and you're under the pressure. And so today, we're gonna close in prayer this way, that as we close in prayer, if you would say, you know what? I'm ready to stand for God, no matter what. Bring, if, God, if, if God delivers me from the fire, and even if he doesn't, I'm committed to Jesus no matter what. Just go ahead and stand right now, if that's you. If you wanna stand for God, if you wanna stand for Jesus, and this is, this is one of those, we very rarely do this, but this is one of those who are saying, I'm in all the way. If God delivers me, even if he doesn't, and that's okay, be real with God, but let's, let's declare this right now, a stand up moment. This is your stand up moment. This is your moment where you said, I'm gonna stand for Jesus no matter what, no matter what the, no matter how seven times hotter, eight times hotter, nine times hotter, 10 times hotter, I stand for Jesus no matter what, because he's with me. Jesus, right now, we are declaring your word. You're, we're declaring today that we are yours. And that in the midst of, of, of seven times hotter um, culture, in the midst of a seven times hotter world we're living in, in the midst of a seven times hotter furnace of life that we're in, in a Babylonian culture, kind of, where, where, where Christianity is moved off to the side, where we are in the middle of like, what's our world looking like? This doesn't look like what I grew up with. This doesn't feel like what I know right now with faith and everything, but you're calling me to be a Daniel and you're calling me to be a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That says I stand, that we stand for the virtues and the values of Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit right now, infuse us 
with spiritual confidence. Infuse us with spiritual confidence. A a, a Christian, a a Holy Spirit-induced confidence that fuses into our bones like adamantium X-Men style that just says, listen, I am unbreakable. I am going to stand no matter what. Nothing can harm me or hurt me because Jesus Christ, when I stand up for Jesus, I stand, Jesus is standing with me. Thank you, God, for today. We pray this in Jesus' name.